Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. This episode of State of the Nova Nation is sponsored by our friends at Homefield. Introducing our new sponsor, Homefield, a premium collegiate apparel brand out of Indianapolis, Homefield brings you incredibly comfortable, officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs. They dig through the archives and history of your school to find unique logos, mascots, and moments to make thoughtful designs. Homefield is kicking off Big New Saturday Season 3, where they launch a new school on their site every Saturday for eight weeks in a row. And Villanova is coming up for Week 6 on Saturday, February 26th. Be sure to use promo code VUHOOPS at checkout. That's VUHOOPS all one word, all capital, for a discount on homefieldapparel.com for their upcoming Villanova launch to make sure you're all set for March. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to State of the Nova Nation, presented by VU Hoops. I'm Pat Zhang. She's Emma Houghton, away for possibly the last time on Olympic duty, hoping to have Emma back for Thursday's episode, but we will see. In the meantime, though, a very special guest joining us for this one. I have been looking forward to talking with him for a while. If you know VU Hoops, you know his work. We have Brendan Riley on today's episode. Brendan, how are you doing? Doing good, Patrick. Thanks for uh, for having me on. Uh, happy I could uh, help fill in. Looking to have Emma back, though. I, I, you guys do an amazing job with the podcast. I love listening every week. Oh, thank you. We appreciate that. We are trying to fill in for Eugene and Chris the best we can, <laughs> but uh, we we appreciate all the all the support. And it's always fun talking to you with your your points on Nova Hoops throughout the season. And been uh, looking forward to finally having you on to talk through a bunch of stuff here today. Yeah, let's uh, let's dive right into it. Where do you want to start? Yeah, so we'll start with Georgetown. We got plenty of things to get through, so this should be a really fun episode. But seventy-four to sixty-six win over the Hoyas to improve to twenty-one and six, fourteen and three in the conference. It was Senior Day at the Finneran Pavilion for Caleb Daniels, Brandon Slater, and Kevin Voigt. Not the prettiest of games, that is for sure. Uh, Villanova really struggled to to put Georgetown away. The Hoyas were able to hang around for a lot of it. I guess I just kind of look at how the easiest way I could sum up this game is just, it wasn't clean. There were 15 turnovers. Many of them felt mindless at times. There were a lot of really poor passes that just airmailed or or the connection wasn't fully there. I know the closing numbers weren't terrible and it's something that you focused on a lot in, in articles this year. I know we've touched on it many times. I believe they're only minus one in the final 10 minutes there. What do you think kind of went wrong that Villanova wasn't able to play more of a clean game against an opponent that has struggled as much as the Hoyas have so far? 
You know, I think it came down to controlling the tempo of the game. Mm. Georgetown is a team that wants to speed you up, wants to run, wants to have you make mistakes because they know they're going to. And the only way they have a chance of staying in these games is to hope that you make as many mistakes as they do. So they want to run a gun. They want to push the tempo. And a lot of times when you saw Villanova making those senseless turnovers, I think of their 15, only five of them were caused by Georgetown. Yeah. Uh, So when you see them making those turnovers, it's when they were speeding themselves up or when they were, uh, you know, taking shots early in the, in the shot clock. And I'm not saying don't do that. If there's a wide open shot, you take it. If you have an advantage when pushing the ball, uh, I remember a specific play when Gillespie was able to get the ball pushed down the, the court really quickly and it resulted in a basket. Absolutely do that when appropriate. It's when you do that just because Georgetown is pushing you to do that and you end up taking a contested shot or a, a you know you throw the ball away that's the it's really inconsistent and it's not usually what we see out of Villanova in fact if you look at the game really the first 10 minutes of the game mm-hmm. is when Villanova had things really slow was playing their game and then as the game continued they started speeding things up a bit yeah, and I like how you mentioned the first 10 minutes there because you're completely right in that they were able to really frustrate Georgetown. Georgetown had five points through the first, what was it, 10 and a half minutes or so of the game, and Nova was completely able to control the tempo. They weren't able to run away with it because the shooting certainly was a little cold out there. I I like also looking to kind of pushing it because it's something I've advocated for at times. Of course, this Villanova team is going to sit and sit slow. There's nothing wrong with that, but I'd love to see them try and take advantage of the break more when they can. I thought that Gillespie moment, I think Justin Moore did so down the stretch as well, that he turned into an end one uh, Villanova did finish with nine fast break points, which is, you know, a, a little over what we normally see from them. They did outscore Georgetown in that game. I do give Patrick Ewing credit as well, especially coming out of halftime. The Hoyas went straight into a press. They really started pushing tempo and they hit those, you know, back-to-back threes to cut a 10-point lead down to four to really start to make things uncomfortable very quickly in the second half. But it just a very uneven game for Villanova, which surprised me. Yes, understanding Villanova tried to or Villanova. Georgetown was trying to push tempo. But in terms of talent and what we've seen this year, I would have thought Nova would have been more comfortable and able to really put their stamp on this. Yeah, one of the more surprising things that you just mentioned was really rarely is it that we see Villanova come out of halftime Mm. and get out hustled by another team. Usually they're the ones pushing things and putting the clamp down right out of halftime or at least, you know, staying on par with their opponent. It's been a while since I've seen another team come out and just out hustle Nova right from the get go. It's a fair point. I think they put up 22 in those first 10 minutes of the third quarter. This is not a super explosive Georgetown team on offense, so they can hurt you. Their shortcomings are definitely more on the defensive side. I I was surprised. I really was because I thought 10 point lead going into halftime. I remember turning to my friend and saying, you know, all things considered, you'll take that uh, for what was shoddy shooting for a good portion of the first half. Then the Hoyas just came out firing and they were running all over the floor, forcing those kind of uh, unforced in a way turnovers with traveling and and throwing the ball away. Um, It, it it was frustrating. I'll say, I understand the funny thing is, you know, we, we start with all that and we talk about it. This was a wire to wire win for Villanova. Georgetown never led in any part of this. 
they were minus 20 going into this game. If we look at the spread, I think I never believed they were going to fully finish that, uh, that 20 point um, cushion that apparently the odds makers did, but less than awe inspiring throughout a portion of this, especially on senior day, especially at home at the pavilion. I just wanted more. Well, there's two things I would say are positives to take mm-hmm. away from them. One, this is a senior day game. Yep. Any senior day game we have, it seems like somebody's just not going to be clicking the way they usually do. And there's a couple guys that we'll, I'm sure we'll get into from an individual standpoint that just weren't, weren't their normal selves, others that stepped up. But the big positive I would take out of this is no Villanova did not come out of the gate hot or, mm. or even energetic in the second half. And they let Georgetown go on a couple of big runs, I think specifically like eight or 10 point runs in the second half where they were able to cut it down to a point, I I think twice off of the 10 point halftime lead. And each of those times Villanova was able to regroup and go on the run, a run of their own to push it back. So like did Villanova win either uh, of the third quarter or the fourth quarter? No, they lost each one of them by a point. But in both of those quarters, Georgetown had gone on a run where Villanova was like minus eight, minus nine in the plus minus for the quarter. And they came back in each one of those. So it was more of a testament to how they're able to take a punch and push back, granted, against an inferior team. Mm-hmm. But that's what you're supposed to do against inferior teams, especially a team like Georgetown that can connect from three. It being able to to rally back, shut them down and score your own points was crucial. And it is developing a little bit of a theme there on getting punched and getting back up. Just just look at the last couple of games. Seton Hall went on that run. I think it was to go to 52-45 at one point uh, at Wells Fargo. Villanova then goes on a run to counter punch there. We know Providence stayed in the game the entire way through with Nova and they they never really gave up the lead, only going down one really to to the Friars on uh, on Tuesday night. And then here it is again, to your point where Georgetown would would come up, knock them down and Villanova really wouldn't relinquish that lead. So for a team that has certainly struggled at times with with holding on to leads or being able to battle through in situations like that, just the past week, I think they have made some really important strides when as we get closer to March and going into that, where they're going to need to close things out. And it's really good to see them have that resolve to get back off the mat. Yeah, absolutely. And and it, if I'm thinking about the individuals in this game that really helped with that, the, the two that stand out to me were, were Justin Moore and Brandon mm-hmm. Slater. Yep. That that really took this attacking mentality and and capitalized on it in the best possible way. Yeah, more is exactly where I wanted to go. So we talked about that first half and kind of the struggles that it, it was at times. Gillespie and Moore missed 13 out of 15 field goals in the first half. Justin Moore only had four points at halftime, ended up scoring 15 in the second half. And it was so crucial because this was not the night for Colin Gillespie. You know, Jermaine Samuels didn't pitch in that much. Yes, they were able to get double-digit scoring out of Dixon Slater and Daniels as well, but Villanova can certainly go into their struggles when one of, or sometimes both of, Moore and Gillespie aren't really leading the way offensively, and Justin Moore, not able to get in any sort of rhythm in the first half, hit some really important threes in the second and also started to drive to the basket a little more. 
Yeah, it was it was really good to see. The other person that I want to put in this category, just with like an asterisk next to it, mm. is Caleb Daniels. Mm-hmm. As I thought, he did a great job attacking when the path was open to him. The problem is that sometimes he just decides, I am going to be taking a shot on this possession. <laughs> and whatever, anything else is going to happen doesn't matter. And it's just that little bit of decision-making that if he could take those times when he drives in and the shot just isn't there, instead of forcing it up, instead of forcing a contested shot, sometimes he makes them. But if he just made that extra pass every once in a while, I would feel so much more confident in him as the third ball handler on this team. And instead, I keep wondering, like, you know, if we get in a situation without a Gillespie or without a uh, more who takes over that role. And right now I still do think it has to be Archie Diacono because I just don't see Caleb Daniels being able to consistently be that playmaker for others yet. Wouldn't it be nice if someone like Slater or Samuels had a little bit more of the conviction of Caleb Daniels on the offensive side of the ball? <laughs> I would, I'd love to see Slater uh, pull the trigger a little more often. No, but I, I think you're right around the point here with why Chris Archdiakono has found himself in the rotation more after finding himself out of it not so long ago. I do believe it's because Jay is looking for a ball handler. And while Caleb Daniels, of course, can handle it as a guard, He's, he's not a facilitator. He's certainly more of a scoring guard. I know Justin Moore has seen the ball in his hands more as a one guard as the season's progressed, but Longino's not there. Antoine's more of a two as well. The options are limited. And I think as much as I can be frustrated by what I see from Chris on defense, I, I know he had the turnover as well. Really wasn't his fault. He had no help um, when he was trying to get the ball over the, uh, the halfway line. I really do think it's that ball handling and and feeling some trust there. Why he has seen the minute uptick so far. The other guy that I think needs to get some credit, despite the fact that he officially only took three shots uh, is Jermaine Samuels. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was fantastic offensively yesterday. He just got fouled every Every time time. (laughs) he tried to take a shot, uh, which seven for eight from the line. I'll take that every day, all day. But uh, yeah, I thought he really was aggressive in the right ways yesterday offensively. He was. It's been a point that I've hammered home kind of all season is that I want him around the rim. I want him driving. And that's what we saw on Saturday, which I think is a big positive. To your point about getting fouled, too, they were not cheap fouls. He was hit pretty hard in the lane, and he still came up with seven of eight. We know what he does uh, defensively, so I do want to give Samuels his props. A player I'm interested in what you thought about was Eric Dixon, still finished with 10 points, only played 21 minutes in this game. I I wonder if it was part of a matchup portion with Georgetown because they really didn't play that big for portions of the game. Eagle Hefe only played six minutes. Matumbo only played eight. It seemed like Ewing was trying to really stretch the floor and try to hurt Villanova with the three ball. Do you think Dixon having 21 minutes, which was by far the least amount for all the starters, was more matchup wise? Or do you think the performance just wasn't up to par for what we've seen in the past couple of games? No, I think it was a hundred percent matchup and yeah. Jay adjusting to the personnel that Georgetown was putting on the floor. At, at one point, it was very clear that um, Georgetown was not going to win in the paint. No, um, and so he needed to move. Uh, Ewing needed to move outside. The focus became all about Kerry and Harris, and 
as good as Dixon is, and yes, he can defend on the perimeter. He's good at sticking with guards to the uh, as they drive. It just was a better matchup to have Caleb in there instead of instead of Dixon. And you know, I thought it was the smart play. Uh, you still put Dixon in. He still had his ten points. He still had twenty minutes. Very efficient. It just came down to how the, the the tempo of the game started to pick up and the personnel that were on the floor. I don't think it was anything wrong with what Dixon was doing. I think it was 100% matchup-based. Yeah, I lean that way too. The, the one reason I bring it up is because he did have a negative 12 plus minus. Now, I'm not the biggest believer in plus minus at all, um, but I, I, I thought that was interesting at least to look at in such limited time. I do think a lot of it just turned out to that the matchup wasn't wasn't a great fit for him, especially for what Ewing was doing. But you go to efficiency, and again, it's what he did. It's not a ton of field goal attempts, but it doesn't matter. He always seems to get it done. He's the big body in the lane. I continue to be impressed with him. And he would have drawn yet another lane violation if he missed his free throw uh, in this game. I have never seen anything like it with him in lane violations. It truly is incredible. It's masterful. I want, <laughs> I want him to teach a class. He, he really should. <laughs> it's so good. But no, to your point, it's just a matter of like, if they're p- playing five guys out on the perimeter or they're really spreading you with their guards, he just can't move as fast as some mm-hmm. of our guards for recovery time and getting back to help. So it just makes more sense to, if that's the way Georgetown is going to play, we need to adopt a different defensive tact. And that's really all it was. I, I thought Dixon still played a tremendous game. The numbers support that. I have no qualms with how he performed. Yeah, neither do I. And I think so many of us still even have that Jaime Jaquez uh, just flashbacks from the UCLA game where Jay didn't go small, kept Dixon in the game and how that was exploited. I know Jaquez still a forward, but his, his dribbling ability is pretty impressive. So I, I don't have an issue with going more matchup based. And we know Caleb certainly has the ability to stay out there for a long time. And then one more point I wanted to hit on Georgetown before I see if, if you had anything else too. Villanova, they, they did their superpower yet again. And it really ended up being the difference there. 17 of 19 from the foul line, 90%, as I said, 17 makes Georgetown, just 10 for 17 missed seven free throws, lost the game by eight, even though Georgetown shot 43% from the field, Villanova shot 44% from the field, Georgetown 32% from three, Villanova 32% from three. Villanova, when they get to the foul line, when they get there in bunches, they're going to make them. It is their differentiating point. I am a broken record. I think I say it every episode now, and it happened yet again. Yeah, the free throws are insane yeah. what they're doing this year it is literally insane that this team is now on the season shooting i think what is it, 82.6 that sounds right that sounds right point eight yep on the season which is already on pace for the greatest free throw percentage by a team in all of ncaa history and what was very interesting i wrote an, an horizon piece on this uh earlier uh uh this year, um, the main drivers of it are Gillespie, mm-hmm. Dixon, and Slater. Slater they have yeah. by far the best percentages. And the, and the two that were really, um, <laughs> I hate to say, holding the percentage down because they're both shooting over 80, like they're doing fine, uh, was Moore and Samuels. Mm-hmm. And now just in yesterday's game, Moore shoots five for six, which is above 
our average. Samuels goes seven for eight, which is above our average. So if those guys are going to start shooting at an above average tilt and everyone else keeps shooting immaculately, like, man, you cannot let Villanova get to the line. You cannot foul them or they are going to make you suffer. It, It is what this team does that sets them apart. And it is so incredible. And Slater is the exact one I would look at. His progression from free throw shooting throughout his years is unbelievable, actually would be how I would frame it. From 40% as a sophomore to 60% just a year ago to 86% right now. Uh, it's it's remarkable. It, it truly is. And it's where Villanova just continues to hurt teams and bury them. And poor Georgetown here in the two games that they played Villanova. Nova shot 33 of 35 from the free throw line. It, it's tough to overcome that. <laughs> yeah. The the only other thing I'll bring up is that this was off uh, scoring wise, at least a very quiet night for Colin Gillespie, mm-hmm. just two of 10, uh, nine total points, uh, four of which came at the free throw line. Um, but what was very interesting, especially with, to our point earlier about how Georgetown was playing small ball um, Gillespie really attacked the boards and with Georgetown hoisting up so many threes, especially late shot clock threes, they were careening all over the place. And Gillespie just kept finding ways to be in the right place at the right time and corral those things. So uh, I was really impressed to see him as always, whenever he's not the primary scoring threat on the night, he finds other ways to make himself known. 10 rebounds, five assists, just continues to be the backbone of this team. Yep, you are so right. He's just got a knack for it, for being, you know, a part of it as a guard is just being in the right position, but he's also a very good rebounder. Um, and even with it, as you say, he picked up that ankle injury. We know he went out and was scoreless against St. John's, picks up 10 boards, five boards, four boards, and 10 boards in the next couple games. That is still all more than he had in his previous five games uh, before he got the ankle injury. So it doesn't matter if he's if he's not scoring as much. He is still right in the thick of things as always. He is the leader for them. And he just he finds a way to help influence the game, and he did it again on the boards. Yeah. And the only other thing I would bring up here is a little bit of talk around the rotation. Because mm-hmm. I, I keep hearing, you know, why isn't Antoine getting more time? Why isn't Longino getting more time? The Longino all said it was as this, in that February is really about the, the way we look at it and saying a player needs to get in the game to get more time developing. The same is true for the chemistry and on-court play of the five guys that are on the court at the same time. And really in February, what Jay is trying to do is solidify, especially defensively, how these guys work together on defense and get comfortable with each other so that he can call defensive switches and change things up defensively and not be locked into just one or two defenses that they can't deviate from and cause confusion for the other team. So it is just as important in the group that's out there as it is, as getting individuals and the individual uh, trying to bring them along that happens in November, December, some of January, February and March is about the team and the collective. I think the rotation is pretty set. Now that said, would have loved to see Antoine out there more. Um, I, I, I'm still a little lost as to why he's not out there, but I'm also not in practices. I'm also not with the team. I also don't know how much of a, of a net positive or negative he is 
to some of those defensive switches. Um, I would love to see him use more as an energy guy. I would love to see him come, be the one that came off the bench uh, at the start of, of the second half there when Villanova seemed like they really needed someone to bring more energy to the team. Um, that's that's the only qualm I have right now with the rotation is I could probably use a little more Antoine in there. Yeah, it, it certainly is time. And we've seen Jay do it throughout the years too, where he starts to really tighten that thing up uh, as we start to move into real crunch time uh, with, with March upcoming. I have conceded more and more now with Longino where I agree that, you know, the time to play him was more, uh, you know, a month ago, two months ago, get him in and, uh, and acclimated there. I, I understand the cutback in minutes a little more now, but Antoine still hurts because I, I feel like at least from what I'm doing, when I'm watching it, I've been impressed with his ability to move and disrupt plays on the defensive side of the ball. Of course, you know, there's so much more to it. Uh, as you said, the, the practice portion as well. I'd love to see the minutes get a little more of an uptick, but something to monitor. I do think it's mostly going to be these six guys from here on out. We've seen Chris start to, to gain some minutes and I, I'd love to see Brian get a couple more. The reason that worked a little bit against Georgetown is they sneakily really didn't have that much of a rotation either. No, I think they had five guys that all played over 30 minutes. And while they played 10 total, they really didn't reach out to some of these other guys too much outside of some of that early foul trouble. Yeah, no, for, for sure. And one more question I'm interested on your thoughts here on Georgetown, because you did kind of write about uh, Patrick Ewing, of course, being in as a, as a former coach, or former player, excuse me. Um, Does Ewing survive this season if they go winless in the Big East? If they go winless in the Big East, I think I, I I see survive is, I don't know the right term. Yeah. I don't think Georgetown is going to force him out, but they are going to plead with him to have a realistic thought on this of like, we know we love you. We know you love this program. Look at what just happened. Mm. Is it time to just go our separate ways, still have all the love and respect for each other, but try something different because this has not worked. Yeah. And I think that's a fair approach. I think that the decision will ultimately be Ewing's. Um, And I think that, Uh, with all the turnover he faced with this roster this past year, it's going to do one of two things. I I think he's either going to say, I had a team set for success. We were able to show it in the tournament last year. And then everything got switched up Mm -hmm. on me. I just want to have one year where it all stays consistent and he decides to stay. And if, if he stays, and then fails again next year, then the university sure. will remove him. Yeah. But uh, if he just says, I'm done with the recruiting piece, I'm done with trying to re- keep, not only try to recruit new players, but retain the players I have before they sprint off for other places. If he decides like, I'm done with that, I'm going back to assisting in the NBA, the NBA will take him back in the heart. Mm-hmm. He's too big of a name not to land somewhere. So it's not like this is the end of coaching for Ewing. It's just the end of coaching at Georgetown. Yeah. I, I would be floored if the university straight up fired him. I, I do leave the door open for a possible, you know, mutual decision here to, to part ways at the end of the season. I just look at it as he's 26 and 59 record in the big East since he got there, all of the transfers that have happened, you know, if they do go winless in the big East and are, are out in the big East tournament, 
it's a lot to swallow and it's a tough pill to swallow, but it's that overarching factor of it's Patrick Ewing and it's Georgetown. So it it convolutes things. It makes things complicated and it's something I'll, I'll certainly be watching. So it was a wanted to know what you thought there. I, I will say all the buzz of if he does leave right now is around, uh, Tommy Amaker and apparently from what I can tell no Georgetown fan <laughs> likes the sound of that uh, <laughs> nobody is pleased at that news which is hysterical <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure Georgetown fans are going to be happy at all but <laughs> we'll, we'll see um, no that that was great so that was everything I wanted to hit on Georgetown want to look uh do a quick little look ahead to Connecticut before we talk some bracket Absolutely. Yeah. Sweet. Let's do it then. So Villanova will be taking a trip to UConn, not to play at stores, but or not to play in stores, but play in the XL center uh, on Tuesday night. I believe it's an eight o'clock game. Since we last saw the Huskies, they have won four out of five since that loss at the Wells Fargo center. Adama Sonogo has been a monster over those last five games, averaging 16 points and 10 rebounds. In that span, Tyrese Martin as well has been phenomenal for the Huskies. Their biggest thing is that they struggle with consistency. Sound familiar for, for Villanova at times as well. If you just watch that first half against Xavier over the weekend, that was the UConn team that scared the crap out of me heading into this season. And then the second half, things really started to fall apart a little bit. Yes, they pulled away at the end. This is a really difficult matchup. It's on the road. I don't have the best feeling about this game. What are you thinking? You know, the, the, you find solace in the little things, <laughs> the, the, the little things that are nice. So one thing that I want to point out is uh, so far in Big East play, um, UConn is, I, I think, at home. They're, they only have, what, two losses, I think? Uh, yeah, Providence and Creighton. Two losses at home. Both of those came at the XL Center. There you go. So we're playing in the right venue. So there's one thing. It's not gamble. Thing number two. <laughs> um, as well as UConn has played over the last five games, they've still been crazy inconsistent. Yep. Um, they're, they're a team, they're, they're one of those teams that can beat anyone, but can lose to anyone. Uh, and they're, some of their wins that they're coming across have been, you know, just one, two possession wins. Um, and their losses are blowouts. Uh, and I, I, well, that's com- not completely fair. They've had some close uh, losses as well. But I, I just I, I'm not seeing consistency or leadership or, you know, one guy that ends up coming out of there and saying, you know, this is their closer. I mean, Cole is probably mm-hmm. the closest thing they have to that as like the guy. But I almost every time when they're going to have an end of game situation, I feel like Martin is the guy that yep. they want the ball in their hands up. So I don't know if there's a you, there's not a Gillespie on that team that they can go to and say, that's the guy build around him. Um, the negatives is that. Um, boy, oh, boy, did Eric Dixon show up Sonobo last time. Mm-hmm. And I don't think Sonobo's forgotten about that. No. <laughs> and he. 
he is a very good basketball player. <laughs> and uh, I think he's going to look to show it when Villanova comes to town. As do I. And that's what scares me is that, it, you know, in that game against Villanova, Sonogo, he got in that early foul trouble, remember, so he had to sit out. He, they UConn really didn't get him very involved in the first half. They did try and go to him a lot more in the second half, uh, but Nova was kind of able to hold on there. As I said, he has been on a tear since that game and just, scares the living daylights out of me with, with how good he is. I, the point about a closer is really interesting because, yes, you would think R.J. Cole is, is the first name that would go to, and I really like watching R.J. Cole and all that he can do for him, but Tyrese Martin has just been so good for them. I know the Xavier game was not an example of that. He only shot 25%, but in the games after Villanova, 18 points, 18 points, 17 points, 16 points for Martin. Uh, he's been on fire. And then where I look at this team as well and where I think this could be an issue for Villanova is they have the fifth best two-point defense in the country. Of course, it helps when you have guys like Adama Sanogo, Isaiah Whaley, Tyler Polly, all of those wings or, or bigs that have all that athleticism and length. But Villanova has really started to make a living hurting teams from two underneath the basket and things like that. And I'm not sure they're going to be able to really get in there against a team as good defensively, especially in the paint as UConn. You know, they are really good in the paint, but what you have to remember about how Villanova attacks the paint is, is twofold. One off, um, Dixon by himself can adjust some of those numbers. Mm -hmm. uh, he is good enough to be a one-man wrecking crew down there. Where those numbers really come into play is to your slashers. So when Daniels or, or Slater or Samuels are coming into the paint, they're going to have trouble getting home on a team like this, especially if, if Sonoga is in, is playing to his top efficiency where that kind of falls apart is when you get Gillespie and Moore backing their guards down into the paint, because that defensive two point percentage is not built on back down post up point guards. Like that's, that's not what is driving that number. So I don't feel like RJ Cole is significantly contributing to their two point percentage defense. And that's going to be where Villanova can flip the script a little bit on there. Uh, the other thing I notice when I look at Connecticut's numbers and areas where they're really good at is their offensive rebounding. They're third in the country in offensive rebound percentage, which is really, really good. Unless you also account for the fact that they are really, really bad at two-point shooting percentage, hmm. which is what gives them so many opportunities at offensive rebounds. That helps. So, <laughs> so uh, you know, outside of like a Whaley, who's a really good shooter, uh, and Sunogo, who just can clean up inside, they they tend to have a little bit of trouble driving to the basket, which has been an area where I feel Villanova is probably below average defensively mm -hmm. is is guarding that quick drive off uh, off the exterior so if, if they can slow down Sonoga which they did in the first game if they can replicate that then it's going to be really hard for Connecticut to find scoring unless they heat up outside yeah and for Villanova too on the offensive side I wonder if they do 
attacked the three-point line a little bit. It, it was a struggle against Georgetown, as we just noted. And Gillespie and Moore finished two for 15 from beyond the arc. And, of course, those are going to be your two main beneficiaries from out there. But UConn is 194th in the country in three-point defense, so just about 34%. So it, it, they're definitely not top end there. They can suffocate you a heck of a lot more on the inside. I wonder if we do see more of a game plan focus on that outside shot to see if Villanova can can try and add some points and and really pour it on that way instead it's it's such an interesting chess match I I think this UConn team is such a to use the same word again though interesting foil to this Villanova team and I'm pumped for a huge Tuesday night game in the Big East out there it's going to be some good stuff yeah it should be exciting does Villanova get it done on Tuesday night I'm going to say yes. I, I'm thinking that Villanova is going to get it done. I mean, they, as much as some of the fans are focused far more on what the end of season rankings mean for the BET seedings, I know that winning the Big East regular season is a goal for this team. Mm-hmm. Like that is one of Jay Wright's goals every year is win the Big East. And right now they are still in the driver's seat to do that. And by going on the road and getting a big win like this, they remain in the driver's seat. They're able to keep doing it. And I I think they're able to play a little bit off of UConn's inconsistencies Mm. and get the win. Oh, I I like it. You are so close to turning me too. You you really make me think about it. I I do think they dropped this game. I think it's just such a tough ask to go in and sweep this Husky team. The biggest, the biggest uh, issue for them, as you said, is consistency. If, if we get the, the UConn team that has showed up at many points during this season, you know, to, to lose some, some tough games. And even in the second half, as I said, against Xavier, I certainly think Villanova can come away with this. I think that Adama Sonogo is going to be all over this game on Tuesday. And I cannot get that out of my head. So I have a bad feeling there. Um, Oh, I, w- I hope I'm not right. I really do. <laughs> but the- Here would be the, the one thing I'll say as a caveat there. Watch how Villanova tries to handle entry passes to Sunogo yep. because Connecticut turns the ball over. Um, and they are not that great at the interior passing piece. That's, I think, where Villanova can take a huge advantage and knock Sunogo out of the game. Yep. Listen, if they can get him in foul trouble early again, you know, and, and get to the line as we have talked about with how Villanova exploits that, do it, you know, get to it. And I think they can come away that way. So we'll, we'll see how the game plan uh, kind of morphs and, and evolves throughout the game and uh huge, huge one on Tuesday night. Sweet. We can that usually go around the big East here, but we've got two more uh, segments to, to hit because we've got so much going on right now, which is great. Uh, we'll head into some bracketology over the weekend. The NCAA committee did release their top 16 seeds uh, kind of as a projection as we are within a month to selection Sunday. Villanova ends up being placed as a three seed in the East, the top three seed overall, along with Kansas, Kentucky, and Wisconsin in that region. I, I guess let's start with initial thoughts on that, and then we can start to look at some other scenarios if you want as well. So I thought this was the right place for Villanova to be put right now, mm-hmm. as it stands today. They were the best of the three seeds, uh, and because of that, they got their preferred location, which would be the east, because that puts them in Wells Fargo Center. Uh, in Philadelphia. 
uh, teams that they had ahead of them included, you know, Duke, uh, Kentucky. Uh, I think Baylor was on the two line as well. Um, and, and Purdue uh, was the last one. And Purdue, yes. Uh, and so I, I think the big things to, to think about here are, you know, I, I'm not so concerned about the matchups yet because that's all going to continue to shake up and, and who knows who's going to end up where in terms of the actual locations and who you're going to face. And even in what they released yesterday is second weekend matchups. Mm. We have to worry about getting through the first weekend <laughs> yes. uh, before we start considering that. But the two big things I would look at here is one Villanova staying above the four line. Uh, So being able to be a two or a three seed, I think is hugely critical for them. And then also, which would be an added bonus, a huge bonus, but you know, an added bonus, nonetheless, getting that Philadelphia Mm. region. Um, that there's two factors that play into both of those in terms of staying above the four line. The reason why that can be so crucial is because you look at all of these 13 seeds that are basically going to be your best of the best of the conference champions. and, And you want to avoid them because they're going to be hot teams coming out of a conference championship that are, probably a little bit better than what they're being seeded as, but definitely could be classified as quote unquote giant killers. Whereas you drop a line to those, uh, the, uh, the 14 seeds, you you just take a little bit Hmm. less pressure off of those. And they're less likely to be someone that can give you trouble in that, in that first round. And then going, looking at the second round, it's just as crucial to try to stay away from those five seeds because either you're going to have a five seed or you're going to get that 12 seed upset. That's going to try to make a a miracle run to the uh, sweet 16. Um, Neither one of which I'd rather see. I'd rather see a a six seed or a seven seed if possible. Yeah. I, I think how things turned out. And of course, this is, as you said, there's so much time and, and many things can change and will change before the, these things actually do shake out uh, being put in the East first. I, I took as a, a big positive because I wasn't sure how willing the committee would be to put Villanova in the East as not a one or a two seed. Yes, they could get up to the two line potentially just knowing that if they were able to get through those first two games, those uh, the semifinal and final would be at Wells Fargo. So I do take that as a big plus. I think a three feels about right to me right now. I, I The two teams I was really interested to watch were the committee were going to seed. One was Baylor, just with the injuries uh, and seeing how much the committee were going to put into it. Clearly, they did not because I believe they were the top two seed. So they still truly believe uh, in Baylor. And then the second one was Duke. Just with kind of the resume can be a little erratic at times, but they have those. And the ACC, of course, is in a, a very down year, but they do have those huge wins against Gonzaga uh, as well as Kentucky. So if Villanova is to get to the two line, I think it would be more of a hop of Duke uh, if they do drop some games there. So with three and then most importantly in the East. In all honesty, it just felt right. So, of course, plenty of time to go through here still before things are all said and done, but that's how that turned out. Do you think Villanova does have a road to possibly getting a two? I rule out a one. I don't think there's any way they're getting up there with that. They would need too much help and too many things to happen, but do you think a two is possible? 
I do think a two is possible. What I don't think is possible is a two seed in the East. Yeah. You get a two seed in the East, Villanova would have to keep Illinois behind it and Wisconsin and Tennessee. So they can't go on any major runs and win their tournament championships. They'd also have to pass three of these four. They'd have to pass Duke, Purdue, Kentucky, and Auburn. Three, three of those four teams to have a legitimate shot at getting in the East as a two seed. Because the way it, it's turning out is a lot of those teams all want to be in Chicago. Mm. And Philadelphia becomes their secondary preference in terms of what site they're going to want to be at. And that's how it ends up getting seeded. And because they can't put um, teams from the same conference in the same region uh, in the, in the top four seed lines, and because they can't, uh, unless there's you know more than four of them and, and because they, you know, have to give them whatever's going to be closest and best available to them as the higher seeds than Villanova, all of those teams has Philadelphia as either their first or secondary preference. Even Providence falls into that too. Mm. Should they end up winning out in the Big East and maybe winning the Big East tournament, they become a threat to knock Philadelphia or Villanova out of the Philadelphia region. Um, so I think that if Villanova makes the two line, it's great that they're a two seed. They won't be in Philadelphia. Yep. If they stay as a three, there is a really, really good chance that they end up in Wells Fargo Center should they make the second weekend. I would even argue that if they get to a two, they're probably either going to San Antonio or San Francisco. I think the Midwest is so many teams are, are more comfortable kind of playing in Chicago that that wouldn't even turn out uh, as well. So it, it Three seed, it actually may. I know you were talking about it yesterday. A three seed truly may benefit Villanova more being able to stay home uh, in the East. And then you mentioned them, and so I just I have to ask about them, of course, with a big East centric podcast. Do you think Providence was seeded right? I do. Yeah, I, I do think that they were. They deserve to be in there as a three or a four seed. Uh, I was fine with them being a four, given um, that. At the end of the day, the NCAA tournament, what we all have to remember, isn't just about what you've done. It's a TV <laughs> show. They want to have teams in there that are going to uh, really perform well. So Providence, even though they had three losses, they were not going to be super high up in the rankings. Um, what I expect to see on Selection Sunday is when you look at the teams that get in at the bottom uh, of the uh, tournament, like the last four in stuff, that's going to be based off of resumes. And mm -hmm. what have you done lately? How much have you won? Uh, who have you beaten? They're going to really look at, you know, not just teams that haven't had bad losses, but I think, good wins will be the deciding factor over um, not bad losses, if you will. Uh, and Providence has that, and that's why they'll be seated higher. But the projected mes metrics still do play a part in this, mm -hmm. and, and that's why when you get up into the higher seeds, I think it's going to be tough if Providence doesn't win the Big East or win the Big East tournament. 
it's going to be difficult for them to crack one of those top three seeds. Um, I, I think sans that the four seed is their ceiling. Yeah, I, I think the four works too. I know that there could be an argument possibly to flip them in Tennessee, but I, I wouldn't just because the, you know, metrically there's the metrics are so much kinder to Tennessee, especially on Ken Palm uh, that of course, than Providence as we know about, because we've heard about it a million times this season. And then the fact that Tennessee also boasts wins over Arizona and Kentucky, as you talk about those good wins, that's, those are great wins uh, to put on their resume. So I think a four works. I don't think a four is a slight to Providence in, in any means. They still could go out there and, you know, win the big East, whether it be regular season or tournament as well. Uh, but it, it felt about right for me. So that, that's how I'd say for Villanova and Providence, things just felt right with this, uh, this first weekend uh, release. And to bring it back to Villanova for a second, that's also going to be something that makes it difficult for Villanova hmm. to jump up onto that two line. Cause when you look at their best wins, it's Tennessee and Providence. Yep. You, you look at like a Duke that's ahead of them. Duke has beaten Kentucky and Gonzaga. You look at Purdue that's ahead of them. They've beaten us. You look at, you know, you look at Kentucky. They've beaten, they've beaten Auburn. Or, I know, I'm sorry, Auburn beat Kentucky. Kentucky's beaten somebody. I can't remember who it is. But we're, we're right at the edge of where you have these elite teams that have beaten each other that we, we do not have that elite win on our mm. resume. And when it comes to seeding, I think that is going to be a detriment to Villanova. Uh, could not agree more. And I think that's really going to play against them. And it's why I also look at Texas tech having an impossible chance to, to hop Villanova as the top three seed as well. Because when you look at their wins, Kansas, Baylor, Texas, Baylor, again, Texas, again, they've got some great wins on that resume. I love how Texas tech is playing right now under Mark Adams. So uh, that's another team I would look at. Um, but of course, uh, geography is a little different there. And we know where Texas tech would like to be uh, if possible. Yeah, I mean, when you look at all this, teams like Gonzaga, Arizona, Baylor, Texas Tech, the teams that want to be in either San Francisco or San Antonio, like they're probably going to end up there unless the and this is the real detriment for Texas Tech. Mm -hmm. The Big 12 is going to have and we saw this in the selection show. The Big 12 is going to have so many teams in those top four seed lines and they can't you put them all in the yeah. same region that they got to separate them out. It's why Texas ended up bumping UCLA out of the West because they had to put Texas out West. Yep. Yep. It, the, that, that is a hundred percent correct. And that is exactly what you're going to see a, a lot of is, you know, in some of the, especially the big 12 um, they have to split these teams up um, and uh, it, it can make it tricky at times. And that's why we've got Texas tech, like you said, in the Midwest and, and UCLA out there as well, that Midwest region, if that ended up being what it uh, was projected on Saturday, I don't think I'd be able to take my eyes off of it with Auburn, Purdue, Texas tech and UCLA. That would be fun, but it would be a good one. Yeah. So that was our first bracket release. You know, I, I love that the committee started doing it a couple of years ago. It's just great to see as a measuring point, uh, where you are. And I believe Villanova was also announced as one of only three teams that have been in five out of six uh, of these uh, pre-bracket releases. So not bad for Jay Wright and crew. But all right, that'll do it for brackets. Then we'll move into a part that I'm really looking forward to talking about you. Well, by the time this comes out on Tuesday morning, this article should be live. Um, you are working on an article about Villanova and rivalries. Do you want to talk us through it? 
Yeah, so uh, every once in a while, this is fun to look at, especially from a, a fan perspective. I don't think it takes the same context for, for the players uh, necessarily. But for fans, you know, we love rivalries. We, we love having teams that are really fun to root against for a number of reasons, especially who we play. So I, I decided to just go through and break down, like, if you – you know, uh, traditional rivalries for Villanova are your Georgetown, mm-hmm. your your St. Joe's. Um, we beat those teams. We beat those teams a lot. <laughs> and um, I don't know. So I wanted to sort of reassess where are our rivalries and who are the rivalries that we still get up the most for uh, and that are, you know, the most competitive and, and truly rivalries. And so I went through a bunch of uh, teams that Villanova has played. I think I put the cap on. We had to have played them at least three times in the last 10 years mm. and uh, looked at seven different components of this. You know, the, the history of the two teams, the frequency with which they play, the competitiveness of those games, especially over the last 10 games, um, the fan base, the coaches, the players, and then other aspects like, do we play them in big game situations? Mm. Do what's their arena like? You know, is their mascot especially annoying? <laughs> Things like that. Um, and what I came out with was a, a ranking of the top ten with uh, with two honorable mentions, and, mm. and, and I'll save uh, the rest of those for the. Um, for you to read in the article, if you will. But I wanted to go through the, the ones that made the top five. Um, and uh, I'll start off with the three that tied for third place, because I think they were very, very interesting and for very, very different reasons. Uh, the three that tied for third place were Providence, Georgetown, and Syracuse. Mm. Um, and uh, just off the bat, would love to get your reactions to those three. Yeah, I, I think for <laughs> for Providence, the first question that came to my mind was how much of it uh, coming to affect is Providence Twitter from this season as you talk about their fan base? <laughs> uh, it, it certainly gave them a, a bump. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought it might. Um, I, I mean, I, I think here you still have to put like a Georgetown and a Syracuse high up there with the history. I know I can't stand Syracuse, even though the fact that, you know, they're, they're still not in the big or they're not in the big East anymore. Um, Georgetown, of course, just the, the gulf in class between the two programs, but it's still, you know, all the history between the two programs province being as a three did, did surprise me a little bit. I know of course they were one of the founding members, of course, of the Big East, Villanova joined not that long after. Of course, plenty of history there. But uh, I I might flip. Well, I don't want to go through your rankings too much because I, I want to leave it to you. But uh, that was the one that I was a little surprised at the three. But Georgetown and Syracuse, I think, absolutely have to be there. Yeah, Syracuse really, uh, while you know we don't play them anymore, they took mm. some hits there. They rode high on uh, their – Bayheim coaching uh, fan, base, <laughs> fan base score, the coach score, the, the players like the Syracuse has some of the players you just love to hate. Yep. Uh, and all on the reverse, I look at like a Jerry McNamara, the guys that you like hate that you love. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> gotta respect it. <laughs> um, so Syracuse, I, I think got there just because man, do I get uh, amped up for a Syracuse game. Georgetown, so many obvious reasons to mm-hmm. be there. You know, you look at their fan base, 
when they actually are winning games, uh, they're better. <laughs> hmm. um, but they've got such a dedicated fan base. The history between these two, the 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 championship game that you can never ever get out of. Exactly. And then for Providence, really where they came in was, uh, you know, clearly they're one of only three teams at Villanova has over a hundred games against. So the history was really there. The the frequency, obviously playing them every year in the big East, Ed Cooley carried mm-hmm. a lot of weight with this of, of being not a coach that you love to hate, but a coach that you, I, I actually love that. I, love I, I do too. Yep. He's so good. And the fan base really got behind their, their team this year and was able to bump that up a little bit. Um, but yeah, when, when we're talking about these scores, I mean, we're talking about like of the, out of possible 35 points, I think all three of these teams came in with thirties and, uh, it, it really showed as to how you could get there in different ways. Oh, for sure. They, they're all different types of, you know, as you said, the, the scores that will go into it. Um, I, I do love it. I, I think it's fun and I can't stand Syracuse. So I'm glad they're up here this high. <laughs> so the number two team and boy, oh boy, did it not take them long to get back up nope. here. Nope. U- UConn. <laughs> Had to be. Um, and it's, it's number two with like knocking on the door <laughs> mm. um, because you look at, uh, you know, clearly the the history. While you know we went through that gap with them, love to hate you, love to hate UConn. That, that's just a, a team that you prefer to play whenever you can. The strength that they had really came on the competitiveness mm. of of this series. Uh, I think overall we're like thirty seven and thirty one with Villanova leading by six games. We're six and four against them in our last 10. So this is always a competitive one. The fan base yep. absolutely ranked very high on this one because there is nothing like going up against UConn fans. Boy, oh boy, do they have a, a personality and dare I say an entitlement all to their own. <laughs> what? No, you could never <laughs> say that about UConn fans. What? Uh, I love it. I'm in complete agreement here with them at two just uh, the intensity of the matchups as well. And as you said, that this is only going on again recently when they, they joined the conference. It, it hasn't been that long, but every single game is is up there in intensity. Even before, you know, they came back into the Big East, they, the year that Villanova played Kansas as well. Samuel's another big three against them uh, in what was a close game. I think Hurley plays into it as well with his intensity. Um, it, it just, it, it's just, how close everything seems to be. Of course, you got the geographical um, closeness as well. I, I love it at two, and it, they had to be there. They just they had to be. Yeah, and I will say, I gave Hurley a four out of out of possible five. Okay, with, like if I could have given him a four point nine, that's <laughs> about where he is in my eyes. Um, like it's just a we haven't been around him enough yet, and he yep. hasn't had that signature moment against Villanova just yet, but he is, oh, he is right on the, on the, the, the heels of the guy that came in at number one. Oh yeah. Because there is no coach that you could possibly love to hate more than Kevin Willard. I can't stand him. 
<laughs> I, I can't I can't stand everything about this program. So I give you the floor. <laughs> uh, so Seton Hall came in at number one again, a point above UConn, but you the most games against any other program in Villanova history is the 110 we've played against Seton Hall. Now, Villanova has very much much owned this this uh, this series. I, I, we're eight and two against them in our last 10 games, 73 and 37 overall. The differentiator there is you look at how close so many of these games, especially recently have been, you know, there's a couple that we've walked away comfortably with. There's a lot that we haven't and that come down to final plays Um, fan base, fantastic players. Oh, there are some Seton Hall players that I've hated over the years. (laughs) Uh, So I think Seton Hall right now is the leader in the, in the clubhouse, but, You've got UConn right behind them. And if Willard leaves, I, I think it, it UConn easily become, uh, jumps over Seton Hall. Willard might not even need to leave for them to get jumped by, by UConn. Um, it's, it's that close between the two. And then, you know, I, I don't want to give up too much away of the other list, but right behind all the ones we've talked about, Marquette is right there. Yep. I- <laughs> uh, so with Shaka Smart coming in, I think the Big East for the first time in a while is getting some more charismatic coaches, giving you a little bit more of an inkling of what the old Big East used to be like, getting coaches that are going to talk a bit more, that are going to be a little more involved in the media and that uh, could make this league really, really exciting. Yeah, so since you bring them up, I will say, because I didn't want to give it away there, uh, I, I would actually flip Marquette and Providence for my own personal rankings, and I understand that's more of a new Big East versus older Big East thing, so of course the history of Providence and all the games against it goes into a lot of it, but I, I know I really get up for Marquette. Uh, I actually think Shaka is a more likable coach than Wojo. Uh, I say actually, like that's a hot take. I think most people would believe that <laughs> um, for for Marquette, but I still, with that program, it, it really does fire me up. And then on Seton Hall, uh, I said it recently, so I was very glad to see that you had them at number one. For me, it is the best rivalry in the Big East period right now. It is Villanova and Seton Hall. I These games, I do not get up for any games like I get up for Seton Hall games. Every single game since the second game in 2019, from between Villanova and Seton Hall have been decided by 10 points or less, just on a competitive nature. They are all right around it. You can go through it with all the players. And then as you, the fan base, of course, with the pirates is just, they are a piece of work is, is how I'll put it. And then Kevin Willer just puts it over the top. (laughs) Even when he's not trying to needle at Villanova, I know in his post-game press conference, uh, just from a couple weeks ago, he throws in little sly shots like this when talking about Villanova and their free throw shooting. He mentioned that Seton Hall had not been in the bonus in, I believe, their last three or four games against Villanova, just kind of inclining or pointing at the fact that Villanova gets a couple more calls than them. I can't stand Seton Hall. Willard is definitely the, the top guy I look at as the most hateable coach, though. I, I do really enjoy playing against him and these rankings are a ton of fun. So I'm so happy you're putting out this article and I can't wait to read the whole thing. 
no one does a better passive aggressive complaint yes. in a post game press conference than Kevin Willard. He Com- is a master at it. <laughs> complaint or whine would be how I would ask. <laughs> but they could be two in the same uh, very often for him. But no, that this is fun. And be sure to check out the rest of that article to see all the rest of the rankings and all the reasoning behind it when Brendan puts that out because uh, I uh, I know I'm certainly excited to see it. And then we've got one more thing. We can do this pretty quickly because there's actually not not a ton to go through here. We're going to look around the Big East, kind of what's happened recently and what is coming up right here. What I am looking at is can St. John's finally hit that groove? Can they get into, a you know, put it in overdrive and try and save their season if it even is salvageable after a blowout win over Butler where Champagny, you know, did come through for them. I believe he scored 31 points. Uh, that's kind of what I'm watching uh, after this big win for them, because it's just been so stop and start for the Johnnies all season. Can Friday night's win start to be a turning point or is it too late at this point? I think it's too late for them yeah. to get in as an at-large bid. Yeah. But if that indicated anything to me, it's that you do not want to draw St. John's. Nope. In the Big East tournament. No, no, no. I want no part of Posh and Champagne. Not at Madison Square Garden. No, 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 I no. I still don't see them winning it all, but they're going to beat one of the teams that could win it all. And they're going to show up in the in the quarterfinals or, or the semifinals, rather, I think, Ooh. Uh, unexpectedly. That would be honest. The Garden on Friday night with them in the semifinals would be electric. So uh, as long as it's not taking Villanova's spot, I'm all for it because <laughs> uh, that would be a ton of fun. Uh, other side, this is actually uh, an important one for you, though. It might not be as much anymore as Georgetown continues on the Seton Hall survived to Paul with still no Aiken for Seton Hall. It looks like your uh, your bet about to Paul not finishing last is uh, is going to hit. Uh, I, I don't want to say that I have some sort of uh, <laughs> powers, uh, that I am uh, a seer, if you will, but it, it's, it's, it's looking good. <laughs> it's, I would say it's so looking real good. And I believe you've got basically your, your Super Bowl of it with, uh, Georgetown and DePaul facing off on Thursday uh, of this week. So that's an exciting one. <laughs> it had to come down to it. I'm going to be watching with anticipation if it is at all, even on TV. That's true. CBS Sports Network, the way things have been going lately. Maybe FS2, <laughs> actually, for that game. Um, so <laughs> DePaul does have three conference wins this year. Of course, Georgetown's got none. So it's uh, not looking great for the Hoyas to be able to uh, to jump them there. Uh, it, it's tough to do a full thing on this because it is literally happening right now. I don't know if you've seen this, but... Butler is up 13 right now on Providence at the half. Hello. Well, wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> mm, that would make things interesting after uh, Providence fans looking into the committee and everything on Saturday. Of course, we can't fully talk about it because we don't know how this thing is going to play out. But Hinkle Magic striking again after Butler you know, took down Marquette just a week ago. Uh, first off, that would not make me feel good knowing Villanova has an impending trip in two weeks to Hinkle. But... Uh, like I said, wish we could could close that thing out. We won't know the score by the time this is done, but I'll be following it because it's 13-point lead for Butler at the half. I would actually love to see it happen because then not only does Villanova get a little bit of cushion in the Big mm-hmm. East race, but Butler's using up that magic now. Get That's it, get true. Get it out of the way, get it out of the building, 
wipe out that magic before we show up. That is a great point, actually. So let's hope it comes through here. If not, just to watch Providence Twitter go into meltdown yet again for the second time this week. Um, and then finally, one more game kind of before uh, recording again for Tuesday. Marquette Creighton later this afternoon. Actually a really interesting game. You know, both teams pretty similar there in the Big East standings. Marquette at 9-6, and six, Creighton at 9-5. and five. It is at Creighton, and Creighton's a one-point favorite in this game. I... I want to see what Marquette does here. I know that, you know, they had the kind of adversity of dropping that game to Butler uh, just a weekend ago. I still really believe in this Marquette team. I know Creighton can be a little streaky uh, on top of that too. I'm, I'm watching this game after back-to-back losses from uh, to Connecticut and Butler, of course, came over Georgetown. This is a big game for Marquette. It's a big game for Marquette. I think it's an even bigger game for Creighton. Mm. Uh, you know, whenever I hear at Creighton, I remember back – Jalen Brunson was asked, uh, where, where does he least like to play in the big East? And he responded Creighton because he said that place gets crazy. Yes. It's intense. It's loud. It is difficult to play there. Uh, so if Jalen Brunson says that, then I take it very seriously, but also Creighton needs this win. Mm. They, they need more significant wins over NCAA tournament teams. They are, I would say right now, on the wrong side of the bubble looking in as far as being considered for an at-large bid. They are likely going to go into the Big East tournament needing multiple wins in order to secure safely a seed. So anything they can do prior to getting to Madison Square Garden is going to be huge for them. That's a great point. Yeah, they, they definitely do need this to try to bolster the resume. I, I've seen it kind of hit or miss when I've seen brackets if Creighton does get in towards the, you know, uh, 11 to 12 seed portion. But they, they this would be a really big opportunity for them. They still play Providence, UConn and Seton Hall, too. So some opportunities for Creighton, but can't drop too many of these if they do want to get in. That's everything I wanted to run through. Anything else you wanted to hit on? No, just uh, really excited to get Emma back soon yeah. uh, to keep listening to you guys. And uh, it's going to be real fun watching the cats down the home stretch here. Absolutely. No, thank you so much for coming on here. Tell everyone where they can uh, read you on Twitter and of course, read your articles on view hoops. Yeah. You can find me at Brendan Riley 37 on Twitter, uh, real original name there. <laughs> and uh, then you can also, of course, uh, read a daily article I put out on VU Hoops, along with one or two things that I randomly pull out. I like to do a little deep dive research like this Rivals article that's going to be uh, posted either Monday or Tuesday. So keep an eye out there. Check out VUHoops.com. And uh, as always, uh, keep uh, listening to the State of the Nova Nation podcast. <laughs> Why, thank you very much. Be sure to give Brendan a read. But all right, that'll do it for us here on the State of the Nova Nation presented by VU Hoops. Be sure to check out VU Hoops for articles on Georgetown and articles from Brendan as well. Look out for that Rivals one coming out this week. Uh, also subscribe to the show leave a rating and follow us on twitter at s-o-n-n pod we will be back at it on thursday to wrap up that yukon game and until then nova nation that's a wrap today's episode is brought to you by cars.com 
With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical.